the interwebers welcome to mindset body bank the podcast where people share their journeys and stories of adversity um i'm rob Vellante, your host and founder i got a, a special guest on today calling in from germany this is a uh, an individual who was drafted in the third round to the Minnesota Wild, 74th overall in 2001. His name is Chris Hyde, and Chris is doing some special things, still living over in Germany. He played seven years in the DEL after a uh, short career in North America. Um, and Chris also has a program called Under the Bucket, where he deals with uh, different mental health issues. Uh, I got to know Chris through uh, some mutual friends um, Chris is a little younger than I am, but he has a great story and I enjoy connecting with uh, like-minded individuals. So um, sit back for the next hour and listen to the story and the journey of an individual who uh, was projected to play in the NHL and unfortunately injuries and head injuries um, uh, changed his career. Um, and uh, as Chris says, everything happens for a reason. If you got anything out of today, please like, share, leave a comment. Um, I really appreciate uh, my audience. We're up over a thousand downloads as of this episode, uh, 1,081 specifically. So I appreciate uh, appreciate you guys for uh, for tuning in, and uh, let's jump to Chris. Hey guys, Rob from Mindset Body Bank here. Um, you know, I just got done doing the summit this last weekend and the theme was uh, a lot around mindfulness and mental health and supporting the game. Um, and as you, a lot of hockey folks know, uh, we all try to, as Canadians, we try to pursue our, our craft here in, in, the, um, in North America. And sometimes the, when those doors close, there's options to go overseas. I never did, and I never, never pursued that option. But my guest today, Chris Hyde, from, uh, originally from Langley, BC, joins me uh, right now from Germany. Chris, how are you doing tonight? I guess it's tonight in your time. Yeah, it's it's getting up there and evening. Awesome. I'm doing great. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Uh, yeah, a little backstory about Langley. Um, I always I was born in Langley, but I, I moved away like right away. And so uh, my hometown's Kamloops, not too far from Langley, about three hours away. But uh, I call my hometown Kamloops. But well, still, yeah, well, okay. it says Langley, still says Langley on my passport. It says well, and it says Langley on Wiki. So I went with Langley, and I'll tell you, anybody that's been to Langley, my first introduction to Langley was at uh, was at a Joey's there. And, um, it, you know, that was before they moved out east. And if anybody's been to the Joey's in Langley, um, you, you know that there's a lot more there than just the food. Uh, <laughs> they had uh, quite the reputation. I enjoyed my trips to Langley when I was in the working world. Um, but um, let's, uh, let's not digress down that rabbit hole. Anyways, um, so Chris, uh, you're over in Germany um, and, uh, you know, you had a little, you had about seven years of playing time over there. Uh, after your career what are you what are you up to these days what we'll do is you know talk a little bit about what you're doing now and then we'll dive back into uh, how you got to Germany yeah well these days I mean for one I'm a I'm a parent to a couple of kids that are uh, you know they're they're locked down too from school at the moment unfortunately so a parent to them uh, trying to show them the way through school and, and be a teacher and treat them and teach them the uh, you know, good habits and, and, and traits of quality people. But besides that, I'm also a, a certified mental coach. I do a lot of mental coaching on the side uh, when I have free time. And my, my head job or my main job right now is hockey coaching. And I coach, um, unfortunately, I was a head coach in the Bayern Liga here in Germany this year. And our season got shut down after eight games. Uh, we had a, a really good start to the year. It was really unfortunate. And a lot of players are, are sitting at home right now with, with no teams and no job. But I was fortunate enough because all the, the fully professional teams are still allowed to play here in Germany without fans. And uh, a team that I had some contacts there. I knew the GM. And he offered me a contract to, to finish the year there this year in uh, the German Oberliga, which is the third league, which if you want to compare it, um, top East Coast players, like point of game, East Coast players are really good players in this league. 
And that's okay. what we're looking for. Gotcha. It's still a really good hockey. It's very competitive. Sure. Sure. I mean, and, and now with the talent pool, that's almost global. Um, it, you know, guys got a lot of options. Well, it's funny, Chris and I were talking offline before we started recording and, you know, he's talking about how, how he's in lockdown over there and anybody that's, uh, that's over here in Canada or North America knows we're complaining about lockdown and having kids have to be taught virtually. Well, uh, Chris was telling me he actually has to teach his kids, him and his wife, they have to, uh, they have to, they have to administer the teaching to their kids program. So, you know, just when you think you, you got it bad, somebody drops another bomb on you and, and just lets you, uh, understand that, that it's all, it could always be worse. So uh, what's that, what's that experience like being trying to juggle all these things with your time? Oh man, I think I, uh, I, for one, I, I I think I tell myself all the time, I think I turned out okay. You know, <laughs> I'm teaching my kids uh, stuff that I've learned and, and my values. Uh, it's great. The one thing is, though, that my German's good. I've been here long enough to, to be able to speak German, but my German grammar sucks. So I don't want to teach my kids poor grammar. So I have to just slide things over to my wife. Uh, I do the math. I do grade three English. And yeah. We're all we're all set up with that. Oh, but there you go. Not a virtual classroom. They, they the most of the most of it's done by the parents, which is unfortunate because you know these teachers. Well, what, what are the teachers doing? They're setting up the week of homework and they upload it online and they'll do like we uh, once a week thirty minute meeting with the kids, kind of tell them what they do. At the end of the week, the parents got to send all the homework to the to the school. The next week, you you get it all back, and it's. Uh, for people that are working full-time jobs, uh, oh my God, good like hats off to them. It's like, are, are your are the and I hate to dive off topic, but are the teachers there getting still getting paid full salaries or yeah, yeah, I work a couple so. hours a, a week. A teacher in in Germany is uh, it's a good job. Like yeah. it's uh, you're you get paid accordingly. Um, I know that just from my wife, both, uh, both her parents were teachers and they got to live a very comfortable life. And it's, uh, not like maybe in the States where you're making 25 grand a year and you're, you're yeah. scraping by, like you get paid accordingly because it's a very important job. Nice. Yeah. So obviously you married a German girl, which helps. Yeah. <laughs> a German girl whose English is better than mine. Um, <laughs> you know, I, it's, it's funny actually just to, when I first came to Germany, like, I mean, we can go way back to where I started, but when I came to Germany, I thought I'll be here for uh, one year playing hockey, uh, just get some games. Someone offered me a good contract and get right back to North America, try to make the NHL. And uh, my first year over here, I was going through a tough breakup. And literally a week after my ex and I broke up, I met my wife. And it, uh, not, I've been here ever since 14 years. That's, that's a great story. We'll, we'll, we'll dive into, into the whole hockey side of it. Glad that that's working out and you got a couple of, couple of young kids. Um, so, so Chris, you, you know, you grew up, uh, um, so first of all, Chris and I, uh, don't have, have history together, but we were introduced through, uh, some previous guests of mine, the Pinizzato brothers. Um, when I was interviewing them and got to know them, you know, they said that I should hook up with Chris because we were doing similar things in different parts of the world. And, and this is one of the things I love. Not only do we have hockey in common, and then once we connected and started throwing out names, the world got really small. Um, but the fact that we're, we're, we're both trying to help people in the mental space um, is, is, uh, is certainly something that I think more of us need to uh, pull together because there's there's a lot of guys in this sport and, and other sports that I think um, that, that are afraid to talk about not just mental health, um, which I think is a little bit more in, in Chris's arena, although he can cover everything. Uh, I'm not going to deal in the mental health side. I think it, it's a small part of what I do. I deal more on, on the mental toughness and trying to create that foundation with some of the younger athletes. But there's there's definitely a crossover between what we do and and I think if we can all work together. I, I think that you know we can we can help make a difference in in uh, in people's lives and in sports. Um, but Chris, uh, Chris, being you know growing up in, in Kamloops, which is your hometown, and and playing out west, um, tell us a little bit about your hockey journey. Um, you know, and what life was like for you at home, family, and uh, and and uh, and take us down that road. 
Yeah, obviously growing up in Kamloops, um, I have two brothers. I was the middle, we're a year and a half apart. And, you know, there's always the, the competition and there was uh, too much energy, so to speak. And my dad was working full time all the time. And my mom was just like, she's trying to find things to do to, to have us blow steam. So she, I was so interested in hockey. My brothers had, they, they had no interest at all. Like my older Not, brother, They weren't hockey players? My older brother's a computer nerd and, and my little brother is, you know, just chill, go with the flow uh, type of guy. He didn't have the, the hockey mindset. So I begged my mom to sign me up for, for skating lessons. And she's like, this is better than watching cartoons. And she put me in lessons and I loved it, you know. Yeah. Um, hundred times my first time and I but I didn't want one of those like support things that you can hold on to I just wanted to try to do it and yeah. I think that my dad was a big Habs fan growing up um my dad was oh, is that my dad was <laughs> born in Germany uh as a young teenager came to Canada yeah in Montreal was his first stop and then with, gotcha. headed out west and remember hockey night in Canada and he'd be cheering on the Habs and I was like, you know, okay, I guess I'm a Montreal fan and I'm definitely yeah. not. Um, we'll get into that later, but <laughs> so I just, I was this really, really big kid. Um, when I was probably seven, eight years old, uh, we had Philadelphia colored team jerseys for the local minor hockey. I started playing AAA at that time. Um, and they had to get me my own custom jersey. Like I didn't even fit in the local house league jerseys or whatever. Oh, wow. and, um, I was always a head taller and maybe that made minor hockey just so much easier. And I was always one of the better players on my team. Um, I switched at around 10, 11 years old from forward to D just to get more ice time. I wanted to be on the ice all the time. And I th it wasn't until I was probably 14 when I, I realized that hockey maybe will take me somewhere. I mean, obviously growing up in Kamloops, we have the Blazers and I idolized those guys that go to like breakfast with the Blazers and the number yeah. one band and any chance I had to go to a game, I was there. Yeah. But I was playing in a summer league, uh, like a select summer hockey league. And I got noticed by a scout from the Western Hockey League. And yeah. It wasn't, that was Spokane. I was fortunate enough to get drafted to Spokane chiefs of the western hockey league and playing their, their organization at four for four years uh, i moved away at 16 i had mike babcock as my first coach um bill peters talk, talk a little bit about what he was like at that point oh man it was uh you know like i was actually very grateful i had a coach named alan young who was uh he was a little bit more old school too like he liked to yell and he was he had authority and i had him for many years in minor hockey so i was kind of I thought that primed me for what was coming. I wasn't even, no, not even close. Um, <laughs> it, was, uh, it was psychological. And we don't need to trash anybody on here. That's not the purpose. No, but, no, but like it was, I would all give Babs. And in one year that I had Bab, Mike Babcock, I never developed more as a person and a player than I did that year. Okay. I became... I, I came to camp when I was 16, I made the team and I, I came a kid and I left like a young man and he taught values. He taught work ethic. He taught, uh, you know, just being on time and how to really be a pro. Uh, did I like walking past his office every morning coming in? Uh, no, because if I had a bad game, it wasn't good. Yeah. Uh, I remember we ended up having an awesome team. We won 47 games or something. We went to the Western Hockey League finals. But early on in the year, you know, we were in Prince George on the bus and, and we lost. I forget what the score was. It wasn't even a bad loss, like 4-2, 5-2. Second game of the year, we got a nine-and-a-half-hour bus ride home. And, uh, you know, we got to get home and get to school and park the bus. And he's like, you know, get your shit on. We're going on the ice. And uh, we skated and we skated and we skated until, you know, guys were – until I forget, like four guys had to go and, and fill the bucket, you know, at center ice. And wow. that was my welcome to the league. But that was like, that taught me too at that time, like, okay, let's work hard and we're not going to have to do this again. And right. At that time, you know, this is back in 99. Uh, that was normal with hockey. Yeah. And Bill Peters actually, um, you know, it's, it's, a, it's tragic what, what's, what happened with, with, with PD because for me, I had him for also for three years as a coach um 
and he was great too. I had a really good relationship with him. He really helped me develop and I have nothing bad to say um, personally about my relationship with Bill Peters. Um, yeah, moving on, I was drafted in 2001 in the third round to Minnesota Wild. And uh, up to this point, everything was kind of working to plan. You know, I yeah. was I was playing a lot. Uh, you know, you get drafted. Um, I don't know if I never really had any res uh, any adversity at that time. Yeah, everything was. I never never had any big injuries or nothing. Yeah. And then the season after, or what was it? You get drafted at seventeen. That my eighteen year. No, you get drafted at eighteen. My 18. nineteen year old. Yeah, my nineteen year old year. Like again, great start. I was uh, at Christmas time. I think I was leading defenseman in scoring in the Western Hockey League and got invited to to the World Junior Final Camp at Christmas time for Team Canada. And uh, I got the announcement for that camp in the morning. And that, that next game, I, I broke my finger. And um, a guy by the name of uh, Nathan Horton took my spot. And uh, he ended up having a pretty, uh, a pretty great career himself. Yeah. Unfortunately, it ended with concussions. But that was my first little bit of adversity. And but I still, you know, I signed that, that big NHL contract, uh, third round money, and I was going to, to Minnesota's camp and I thought, hey, like, it's fine. I'm going to make the team. And yeah, I go down to the East Coast or the American Hockey League my first year. And I'm thinking this is normal, but I didn't realize that, you know, you're playing against 16, 17, 18 year olds for four years. Now you're playing against men and it's just faster. And, and the everything's faster. The adjustment from junior hockey to pro for me was a long transition. I thought that, you know, even our coaches there, I had Todd McClellan as a, as a head coach and he's in LA now and he was great too. Like they, they did a really good job trying to, to push players through. And then my second year of my three-year deal with uh, Minnesota was the lockout year. Uh, I believe that was, was it 04? Yeah, I think it was 04, yeah. Yeah, so we had uh, basically had a, a shared team with the Dallas Stars. So it was Minnesota Wild, Dallas. We had 10 players from each team, and we had an all-star team. And I just didn't play. I got hurt. Where was and the American League team? Was that in Houston? We were in Houston. So yeah. Houston, was, but we had guys like, you know, Brent Burns was on the team, and Miko um, Koivu, and yeah. uh, we had six defensemen. Todd Reardon was on the team, you know, the head coach now, and John Erskine and a lot yeah. of toughness, Derek Bugard. <laughs> and, uh, and it was just um, a lot of depth. There was a lot of depth and it was tough. And I was, you know, number seven demon right away. And yeah. unfortunately that, that year, I, the injuries happened. Um, it felt like I, I couldn't catch a bounce. I broke my ankle twice. I broke my back and. Oh my God spent more time watching than playing and uh, things kind of went south in a hurry. So that dream of thinking like, oh, I'll be in the American League for a year or two and then, you know, I'll be in the big club. But it was more or less like I'm fighting for a spot on American League team. And yeah. if, if things don't go well here, I'll be in the coast. And that's what happened. Right. That was a reality check for me. And I mean, my time in the coast was to this day, I got to play an 11 year professional career, but my time in the coast living in Pensacola, Florida on the beach with uh, a bunch of guys that, you know, they're <laughs> scraping by uh, making 300 bucks a week, but every cent of that goes into having a good time. Um, yeah. I had a lot of fun and yeah. I was captain of the team down there and they looked to me as a 23 year old to, to control these guys and we were terrible. And yeah. We uh, we lost a lot of hockey games, but away from the rink, and it was it was a good time. And a it was good a, lot, a lot of fun, a lot of fun losing. <laughs> I know I did the did the East, East Coast League thing for for a little bit too, and it's it's a grind, right? It's a real grind, and it's so easy to get sucked into the fun side of it, right? It's, and, uh, easy, and, hard to leave. It's uh, it is true. I mean, in Houston, like I thought. You know, I, I was fortunate enough in Spokane. It was it was like an NHL organization. We were treated so well from the top yeah. down. And the same thing with Minnesota and Houston, like practice facilities, everything. We There was only one game, I believe, where we had to take a bus, and that was San Antonio. After that, it was like business class flights, and, and we were just like, this is awesome, you know? Yeah. Going to new cities. Then I get to Florida, and we got this, like, semi-truck with uh, – 
<laughs> I don't know this. I don't know if this person even had a license and you're just going like 15 hours to the middle of nowhere, stopping at a food court to grab a pregame meal at you know, yeah. a walk shop and uh, play a game. And then on the way home, there's about, you know, 50 dozen beers and yeah. you have a party on the bus on the way home. And I was like, okay, that was fun. But like, it's not how you're going to play like any higher, you know? Yeah. Was, and uh, it was, it was the first time where, you know, I had some opportunity after those three years to stick around North America, but because I also have a German past, my dad being from Germany, it was easier for me to, uh, to find a job and not count as an import, not take up an import spot in Germany. And sure. I, um, I scrambled, uh, found a job over in Berlin. Pierre Paget was the coach. Okay. And uh, I signed probably four or five weeks into training camp. Yeah. And they have nice long training camps here. And I land off. I was going to say four or five weeks into training camp. Yeah. They have like a two month training camp. And I remember getting off the, like, for one, I didn't know where Berlin was. You know, yeah. I didn't know much about it. And then yeah. you, know, you sign and uh, you realize it's a, a city of, you know, 6 million people. And I never drove a stick before. You get to the airport. It's like, there's your car. Here's a map. There's your place. Good luck. And, uh, you know, welcome they, to Berlin. They, they didn't send the welcome party to pick you up? You're on no. your own? There was a camera crew there, but that was about it. But I remember, <laughs> uh, I remember getting to the rink the next day. And uh, Pierre Paget, uh, we have a couple kind of funny stories, but uh, kind of coincidence. But the first time I, I met Pierre Paget, he called me into the room. He's like, I don't know who you are. I wanted to have an NHL defenseman with a thousand games. Uh, this year is going to be hard for you. And I was like, okay, welcome to Germany. <laughs> <laughs> Are you thinking, what did I just get myself into? Yeah. And oh, things great started, start coach. Things just started to spiral at that point. I'm just like, okay, like I used to be the guy that was controlling the power play. I used to be the guy that was, you know, getting points, having fun, uh, being top four D man, making sure I was out there last minute to a point where I was, you know, number 7D or, or the 13th forward, not playing at all. And I was having no fun. And um, this was even in, this was in Berlin. Yeah, this is my, this is in Berlin. This is my, my fourth year of pro hockey. And I okay. still managed to grind out another seven years after that, but uh, it wasn't all so bad. Um, I, so I signed there in like August and around November, I was having no fun. So I called my agent and he got me a job in Regensburg where I, where I currently live right now. And one funny story, actually, if I want to go into that, uh, Pierre Paget knew that I was leaving and we were on the ice together. Uh, it was a pregame skate they played that night. And I was like, Hey, can I get one more skate in? My flight doesn't leave to, to Munich until later. He's like, yeah, yeah, no problem. And he was working on the power play on one end, and I was doing some quick feet stuff at the center ice circle. Yeah. And I didn't pay attention. He didn't pay attention, but I was going backwards, and we hit each other back to back. And I, I, I popped his shoulder out. I gave him 17 stitches across his eye, uh, completely knocked out on the ice. Oh, no way. Broke his glasses, everything. Uh, it was on the front page of the newspaper the next day, like Chris Hyde was out to kill the coach or whatever, but it was a complete accident. I ended, yeah. up, I ended up apologizing like a week later, like, uh, you know, and he was, we're on good, we were on good terms. Yeah, you're able to mend that fence. It was uh, in a town of 6 million people. I was on the front page of the newspaper, like saying like the kid that's leaving town tried to kill the coach. But <laughs> you keep the cover of that? <laughs> you got it in a scrapbook? I do have it. That's awesome. Yeah. It might even be on my Instagram somewhere. Um, <laughs> I'll have to check it out. Yeah. But then I kind of, I went to the, actually the second league and I just had, I just had fun playing again. It was, yeah. uh, I was touching the puck a lot. I was playing a lot and, and Regensburg, the city, man, it was, uh, it's absolutely beautiful. It's, yeah. uh, I think that's the most bars per capita in all of Europe. Like, is that right? To rank up there with Halifax in Canada? I've never been there, but I'm sure. Well, they say Halifax has has the most bars per capita based on, you know, it, than anywhere else in, in the country. So if it's anything like that, I can imagine. I've yeah. heard the Germans can drink. And uh, when I first got to Regensburg too, I was going through a, through a, a breakup and I was just like, man, this town is great. It's got, uh, we had a young group of guys, not a lot of single guys. And we were, we were, 
enjoying ourselves, so to speak. Yeah. And, um, ended up staying here for a couple of years and then uh, fortunate enough to, to get back up into the first league in Germany. And I was playing in the DEL. Yeah. Managed to play, I believe, five and a half years altogether. But I never was that player that I was when I was, you know, 18, 19. I uh, started having some really, really bad concussion issues. Um, had a couple back-to-back -back hits, you know, like second impact syndrome. And then I was dealing with post-concussion -con post syndrome for a good three and a half years where I was uh, in a dark room a lot. Uh, for one of those years, I lost my short-term memory, like the, the year my daughter was born. Um, I have vision issues to this day. I, I lost a bunch of vision in my right eye. I have double vision, um, you know, chronic pain and headaches and stuff. But yeah. uh, so I was in a really dark place and I continued to play for three and a half years with these things. And like I was losing my love for the game. I started getting uh, very anxious, very depressed. Um, all I knew was keep getting up, keep getting up. Yeah. playing going you know you don't complain uh yeah it's a tough thing when you when you lose when it's not fun and you lose that passion you know yeah. i can relate to that it wasn't because well it was a little bit because of injuries and you know i wasn't playing at, at, a, at a at that high of a level at that for me chris but it, you know i can certainly relate to the idea of losing that passion and not having fun it was just it just the game just the whole the whole idea of it just stopped being fun yeah and it's that's the one thing too. I tell my players now all the time, the players that I coach, it's that never lose that excitement of scoring a goal. Like when you're a kid, you score a goal, you feel great. You know, like yeah. I was told when I, my first year pro to add six inches to my stick, otherwise I'm not going to have a shift because I used to use a really short stick. Um, and they, they molded me into the stay at home glass and out demon that wasn't my game. And I, I totally forgot what it felt like to score goals and be offensive. And I, it just like went downhill. So, so you were actually, they told you to play the way that I played. <laughs> I was never a goal scorer. I wasn't an off the glass and I wasn't off the glass and out guy. I could make that first first pass, but I just, yeah, you know, the offensive game seemed to elude me. Yeah. I mean, that, that was me in, in, in junior. I was the offensive guy and yeah. the pro level just never. I mean, if I, I was always the, the joking guy, like if we went to penalty shots, uh, that the goalie would shoot before I would shoot, you know? Like, <laughs> I know. I used to say, fuck, if I wound up with the puck inside the offensive zone, I I'd be turning around looking, maybe take it back out and give it to somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. So things, things ended pretty, pretty bad. I, uh, we had a, my last season, obviously when things got bad, we were playing a charity game and it was just uh, between two leagues that were rival teams and they were just trying to make money for the team. This is a, I was playing in Bad Nauheim. I was playing with uh, Jason Pinizzato at the time. Yeah. And, uh, that was our first, first time connecting. We actually connected twice, but I ended up just taking a hit of, of everyday hit and um, all my concussion symptoms that I had at the beginning of this, of this spiral of concussions came back just as hard. And I knew right then on the spot that this is it. Like, I don't want to go through this. Um, my wife was babysitting me, babysitting a newborn. And it was just no fun. I was having no fun at all. And it, yeah. I was actually relieved. But, you know, I was 30 years old at the time. And I'm 37 now. Uh, for someone in that moment, when everything just stops all at once, uh, I don't have schooling at that time. Like, I was a high yeah. school kid that that got drafted and I said, I don't need an education. Like yeah, I make a million dollars playing in the NHL. No, no problem. Easy. And then before you know it, you're, you're grinding in the second league in Germany just to pay your rent back in Canada and yeah. uh, money's gone. Um, you know, and, and you got to figure out what you can do, but at the same time, you're so messed up from concussions. You can't do nothing. And mm. I was fortunate enough to, to, be surrounded with awesome people, you know, like obviously my, my, my wife's family helped out a ton, just being able to crash at their place. And then we decided to move to Canada and yeah. you know, my parents helping, helping me out at the time. Sure. And having, and having savings um, in the bank to help pay for doctor's bills and flights and all the travels and stuff. And I was just eating through money and eating through money. And yeah. uh, before you know it, like the bank 
bank account was was dried up but i was getting my health back like i ended up flying out to toronto i met some great group of people with uh, stop concussions um gary goulet and and um scott holler from shift concussion management and they got my life together really quick that i can you know live a live somewhat of a normal life nice and uh so we're thinking like Canada, we'll get a job in Canada and then move the whole family over and everything will be fine. And I yeah. still own a place in, in Kamloops and we were there for a little bit. I went and worked two days with a painting buddy of mine. <laughs> and I was like, nope. Uh-uh. uh-uh. And uh, for one, like I was still having bad symptoms, but I was like, what the heck is this? And, like, and then, so we packed up and went all the way back to Germany and uh, found a place and my wife just put put her uh, put her work boots on and 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 you know really helped uh, really helped out cover the financial situations where I was still trying to figure out like what to do with my life and I ended yeah. up figuring out uh, to go to school at this point. Yeah, and it was uh, my wife doesn't mind me telling the story, but taking care of me having a burnout, having all these concussion issues, taking and and taking care of a colicky baby. Um, my wife ended up uh, having a burnout herself. Sure. And, and she went to this hotel in Austria. It was a beautiful place, but it was like a mental spa. And they go in there and they deal with people with burnouts and all these things. And the person that was helping my wife out talked about this schooling, University of Salzburg. Uh, it's called the Mental College. And it's, uh, if you don't know University of Salzburg, it's, it's a really good school. Um, really big and, and and she recommended it for me you know because she my wife was talking about me and what I did and and how this can relate to sports so I ended up signing up about one day before classes started and, and this was all in German yeah and my German is is was okay at the time but it definitely wasn't at a school level yeah um, so I ended up going to school and I was miserable at first um, learning about mental coaching and, and trying to figure and piece it all out. But after you're being taught in German, obviously. It was all in German. I was so fortunate enough that the, the actual uh, director of the school is a huge sports fan. So he allowed me to do my like thesis and everything in English, which was a bonus. And my wife is also a German English uh, certified so you're dealing with all these concussion syndromes. You're trying to figure out what you're doing. Wife signs you up to go to school and it's all in German. I'm losing my mind. <laughs> oh my God. Good for you, brother. Sticking it out. That, that's a tough one right there. But at this, like, it was probably like two and a half months into school. So how my schooling worked was it was a two and a half, three, three year program where you go there for a week. Yeah. You'd, you like these 10, 12 hour days, and then you'd go home for like two months and you'd have to work with clients and, and work on all the things that you learned that week. And I would go there for a week, I'd pack my brain, and then I'd be laying in bed for two weeks after because my, my concussion symptoms, sure. were, like, I was just using, using muscles that I've never worked before. Right. You know? And I would be a mess. And then I, I, but it, it took up till about like the, the third semester going there where I was like, man, all these things I'm learning this goes directly towards hockey. I could like, where was this person or where was this intervention or where was this technique when I was playing, when I was like in my own head, telling myself that I suck all the time and yeah. why I can't have any fun at the rink. And uh, why am I depressed? Why am I going through a burnout? And I was like learning all the steps and I was like, I'm a pretty even killed dude, but I was just like, what the heck? Like, where was this? Like, yeah. And that's kind of how I got into the, the mental coaching and, and for hockey players. Cause I was like, man, I don't want players to make the same mistakes that I'm making. Dude, same I, path that I made. Like I, yeah. I'm, I'm like, yeah, the, the walking billboard for the guy that made all the mistakes, but wants to try to figure it out. Like, well, look at there, there's a bunch of, there's other guys like us out there. Right. And um, you know, uh, my mind was the same. Mine was a very similar to that. Um, you know, the platform that I'm on now is to, is to really be of service and to give back. How can I take all the mistakes that I made? And, you know, I missed my draft year because I wind up, I decided to go to a frat party, get in a fight. My first year at university broke my hand and we hadn't even started training camp yet. 
you know so there goes my draft year now i'm fighting for my life just trying to get back get into the lineup you know i went down as a as a cocky 18 year old on a full ride and uh and, and that was a, a an immediate eye opener and mm -hmm. then the whole mind struggle of why am i not in the lineup i'm i started to compare myself to people rather than look internally and i'm going well i'm as good as him and i can skate as good as him and why am i not playing and there was a there was a component missing and that's what i'm hoping to be able to go back and and help the younger players with now is that if you don't get your head right and you don't realize that it's not you, you can't take things personally when they don't work out for you mm -hmm. um then then if this isn't in the game and you don't have the tools to correct yourself there wasn't anybody to talk to and and you're even younger than i am so you can imagine going back you know call it call it 10 years prior to you or 12 years prior to you there mm -hmm. was just there was there was nobody to talk to about any of this and i oh. think it's becoming a little bit more prevalent now you know like um on the weekend on my my um my summit, I had a couple of guys from the NHL and a couple of guys from the Ontario Hockey League that are in, either in coaching or management positions. And, and you know, they're old friends of mine that we went back to our teenage years. And now they're talking about how it's all this uh, open door policy. And when, you know, you got a young prospect who comes in and he's got a nutritionist, he's got a strength coach, he's got this coach, he's got all that. If they're not in the lineup, you're not just having this conversation with one person. You you're you got to talk to the whole village, and they yeah. all have questions and they need answers. Yeah. Right. And and as one coach called it, uh, uh, my buddy Jr. who coaches the uh, the uh, uh, Mississauga Steelheads, he goes he goes I feel like I'm the Google button. You know. Yeah. It's insane how the game's changed. Like. Yeah. No, but I I truly believe that, and and I see it a lot is people are, are and players are, they're so easy to, uh, it's so easy for them to point the finger elsewhere. You know, they, yeah. the coaches, it's the coaches at fault that I'm on the third line and not on the power play. Uh, it's his fault that I had a bad game. Um, you he know, like so-and-so better than he likes me. Yeah. But do you think that's what, uh, that's what Connor McDavid says when he goes yeah. and plays? Or is he like, man, I'm going to like, go put up five points against the Leafs tonight because I can, because I'm that good, because I want to, and I want to win yeah. for the team, you know, and, and most people are victims and they don't have this internal control, this locus of control that, you know, it, 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 it makes you um, reach your goals. And if you yeah. have this external thing, if you're looking for the coach to give you a pat or your buddy to give you a pat or for you to have some sort of crazy luck, well, guess what? You're not going to have success. It all yeah. has to come internally. Yeah. So true. Like Davis Payne, who's the assistant coach with the senators now, um, Kamloops boy. Um, he, uh, him and I played at Michigan tech together and he, he, on, on, uh, on my podcast, he said, he goes, he goes, you know, his advice was guys, coaches don't wake up in the morning thinking I'm going to stick it to so-and-so, or I'm going to stick it to you. Or I'm going to, they don't think that. And no. if that's what you believe, then, then, then you're doing yourself a disservice, right? Yeah any criticism they give you is because they're trying to see you get better and what you do with that information and how you take that information and, and, uh, uh, and how you apply yourself to it really is going to determine, determine what your successes are. Yeah. Like I, myself as a coach, it's uh, I want to put my players in, in positions to succeed. You know, that's like, I want to have success. I want everyone to have success. I want everyone to be a part of this, that feeling of winning as a team. Like, I've never won a championship that came close, but like, I know how that feels and it is, it is tough. Um, I find as a coach, it's, it's dealing with personalities and it could be like, you know, my time with Mike Babcock to my time now, or the, the, the kid that was 16 year old now or 18 years old that I, that I'm dealing with now is so much different than I am, but how does this person tick? You know, what makes him, uh, get out of bed every day. What's his exciting thing? What is he, you know, like the, I don't yeah. play video games, but I got to relate with these players on things that they do yeah. to build that trust. And it's not like I'm telling the whole team do this without success. I'll be like, Nope, I got to take this one guy, figure out how he works, work with him a little bit. Maybe I can be harder with him. Maybe he can accept that. Maybe I have to like pet the other guy and, and be like a petting zoo and, and make him feel good every single day or, the next guy might need, you can go full balls to the wall with them and, 
Yeah. And he's going to be like, yes, coach, yes, coach, more, more, more. Yeah. Or the guy you do the same thing, he's yeah. going to shut down. So it's like, it's a puzzle piece of handling personalities. And yeah. that's where my mental coaching and my experience comes into play with. Yeah, the I bet. Yeah. My buddy who's coaching the Peterborough Peets, he says uh, with his staff, with his, uh, his other, his assistants and so on. He, he is he is very adamant that every day that the team is together that each one of them make it take an opportunity to talk to every single player whether it's a pat in the back hey how you doing today a hello or a, a deeper conversation he goes it's so important from a communication perspective to let these guys know that you know who they are that you see them and and that just didn't exist back when I like it was zero. You, know, you talk about walking past Babcock's office, you were afraid. Christ, you, you know, I, uh, I, we were afraid of our coaches. If you didn't play, you didn't even ask why, because all you, the most you got was, you know what, be patient, work harder. Yeah. And then you get bag skated at the end of practice and every yeah. game for, for 45 minutes. <laughs> like, um, no, it's the, the game has definitely changed. And like my, when I go in there, I, I co am I, am I, I'm probably in the locker room more than I should be, but like I have an open door policy and, and like you said, with communicating and having the players communicate, you know, like, I don't want to take, I understand that the, the, the younger player now is I don't want to take their candy away. I don't want to take their phone away, for example, but there yeah. needs to be a limit to when it actually has to go away. And when you talk to sure. your players. Um, and I find like, I found too, that by letting them still have that privilege, and not just being like, leave it at home and, and, but leave it like having still 30 minutes before practice, I can use it. Then it has to go away. Um, you still have a little bit more of that respect, but what I do personally is I have a list and I try to reach out or I do reach out to every player on the team once a week and just talk or ask a question or two about something outside of hockey. Yeah. Like yeah. just, what'd you have for dinner? How would you like, yeah. what's your favorite movie? Like just anything. And then yeah. you're building like this trust and I don't know how it was with you, but like, maybe you had it, but I didn't have many coaches in my career. Um, and I had a lot of coaches, but I, you know, there's maybe two or three, what I would, you know, go through a brick wall for. Yep. And the other one I could give two flying Fs. Do you know what I yep. mean? Yeah, no, I was the same way. And, and I love that idea that you're, you're, you're consciously trying to reach out and create that, that communication and get to know them outside of just hockey. And so, so, I mean, you, you continue this streak of coaches that I talk to that are former players that got treated the way we did that have completely reversed that now and, and realize that that relationship and communication is such a vital part of, of establishing that, that, that credibility within the team. You know, so, so talk a little bit about, so, you know, we got you up to Germany and we understand a little bit about your career and some of your, you know, the, the injuries that, that plagued you, um, you've made this transition into coaching. Um, how did that happen? Um, well, the first year that, uh, after my injury and we were living with my mother at my mother-in-law's here, uh, basement and the baby, you know, like mother-in-law <laughs> cooking meals and putting weight on every day and then oh that sounds like a pretty good deal to me <laughs> yeah, I can for other than the privacy thing but built-in yeah, babysitter yeah. meals are getting cooked i was uh in my dark room with the tv on all day and uh, i can go for about a four minute walk before uh getting a migraine so it was good times yeah uh, but at the same time I, I had so much hate for the game because oh. i gave everything to the game i put my my life on the line night in and night out i i trained all all summer for it and and i went to war and i i wanted to win i was blocking shots and doing everything that i can to help my team have success to the point that the the game took my health away so quickly with the concussion so i was like i was i hated it and okay so i'm going to i'm going to just interject for one second because so I felt the same way. And um, I said that to my buddy, JR, who loves the game, ultra committed. Okay. I mean, he's got a, he's got a Stanley cup ring because he worked as a skating coach with the, uh, with the LA Kings when another buddy of ours, Mike Futa was, was on their, uh, their executive staff. And he loves the game. Like uh, there's not a lot, I know a lot of guys that he loves the game and he, he got mad at me. He goes, what do you mean you hate the game? Look at what the game gave you. And it was an interesting thing because like you, I felt like I hated the game. I hated what, um, what it did to my body because of the injuries I had. 
the injuries forced me out of the game and I just hated being a commodity. Yeah. Right. But when I, when I, when he said that to me, I went home and this was just a few months ago because we were preparing for, uh, for, for, uh, for, a, for a podcast. And I, um, I, I thought about it and I said, you know, I don't really hate the game. I love the game of hockey. I love the guys. I love the locker room. I hate what I allowed the game or, or what I allowed myself to become because of the game, you know, and, and when I looked at the inch, these are all part of the game. These are all things that, that, you know, you can't control. And so if you look at things you can control and can't control, the injuries were things that, you know, maybe they had the technology or they didn't, or they weren't educated on it, but we still, I don't know if I would have changed anything, you know, other than the concussion protocols that they have in place. Now, my injuries weren't so much concussion related. So, you know, do you really hate, did you hate the game or, or, or is it, is it an expression you think that you're using for something else? No, that was, um, that was something that uh, when you're going down this spiral and you're, you're playing um, dizzy and you're playing with a headache every night and you're forgetting everything that you're supposed to do. The first thing you want to do is like, you, you want to stop what you're doing and you want to say like, Hey, hockey did this to me. Um, it took me actually, it didn't take that long, but I was just like, I just need to step away, reassess. And then, you know, I, I, I didn't have a, a big group of like my close friends here yeah. and all I knew my family was always my team. You know, right. wherever I went, you, you, you can throw 20 hockey players in a locker room and you're going to have a great time. Yeah. It's just yeah. the nature of it. There's going to be the leader, the clown, there's going to be, you know, the, yeah. everything. And sitting at home kind of being depressed with my issues. Um, I was starting to think about and write down the things that, that I really loved about hockey and it was little things too, like the locker room, obviously, but there's one thing, like if you were the first person on the ice on like a 6am skate and there's like a certain smell in the rink and you can see like the the Zamboni and it's smooth and just the wind's blowing your face. I'm just like, Oh man, I, like, I missed that. And I was starting to get like excited about it. And then you think about like, you know, just, I'm a loose guy. I was always a jokey guy. And, uh, and, my last couple of years, I, I, I couldn't even find words. Like I lost my speech yeah. and, and I was just like, man, I, I miss just like going back into the room and, and where you were. And, and yeah, it was, I just forgot my old, my old identity. And yeah. cause I was in such a bad headspace. And, and you know what, like you said, I wouldn't change a thing. I wouldn't change a, a, pro, a concussion a protocol or anything like that because it, it led me to, where I am now, like I would have never known about mental health right. and you know, concussions and what can be done in all those categories without all that crap. Yeah. And, uh, now, like first thing I do when I wake up in the morning, though, like I, I'm checking the scores in the NHL, I'm checking my league, I'm watching highlights. Yeah. Like I love the game. Like I can't wait to get to the rink every day. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. You, you look at all those positive highlight things, and you 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 can cancel out and train your brain. To, uh, to really just unlearn all the negative that it's brought. Yeah, yeah. No, um, yeah, it's, uh, you know, I can totally, totally relate to everything you just said and what you went through because I, I, I had all of those same feelings, right? And it's, you don't, you don't, I don't think you ever, you, you don't ever hate the game. And, and it wasn't until, for me, it was that realization. I don't hate the game. I love the game. I actually fucking miss the game, you know? I miss the guys. Miss you could go in a locker room with with twenty guys that you don't even know that played the game. Yeah, and it's awesome, right? Yeah. And exactly. and I love that you you describe that that fresh sheet of ice first thing in the morning. Like those are amazing visualization exercises and just you know incorporating all of the senses into it, and that really brings back what the passion of the game should be about. Um, so so you know what's what, what's next now you, you're waiting for 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 covid to lift or the the season to start and um talk a little bit about you know um under the helmet and and what that means and what you're doing well under the bucket under the bucket <laughs> under yeah, the helmet. yeah. Uh, it was it was something that you know i was thinking i wanted a, a unique name for for my website and it's, you know, we call a bucket our helmet uh, in hockey lingo. And what's under the bucket is actually what counts. And it's a, uh, 
you know, obviously under the bucket is our brains. And yeah. for me, that's where a lot, a lot of the mental uh, problems stem from. Um, they can come from many things, but essentially I created a website and a landing page where people can come to, to reach out to me if they want to talk about any issues they have in all walks of life, you know, just to be an open ear, you know, there's a, we just had in Canada Bell Let's Talk and, and just to, you know, be an advocate against suicide or people that are feeling depressed and anxiety and have anxiety and all these, these different things. But what I also did is I created um, an online master course that teaches players how to be resilient. And I think that's one of those things that's lacking in the game today. Um, people are not just going to be like, they're not going to have that, that no excuses mindset. There's always an excuse. <laughs> and uh, I hate it. Um, my, my kid has a, my, my four-year-old son, he has an excuse for everything that happens in the day. And doesn't change. They got a 16 year old that does the same thing. <laughs> and I want to teach these kids what resilience is. And resilience is like, uh, you know, if, if your coach is yelling at you or someone's yelling at you, are you going to let it affect you? Or if you're making a, a mistake during a game, how quickly can you get over that mistake and focus on your next good play? Or um, it kind of goes through a whole different slew of hockey to uh, from regeneration to the perfect game day to building confidence to, to really learning how to tap into your internal resources and, and priming your your mind and brain with with words and po and positive affirmations that you need and learning how to to detoxify and get all the crap out of your life that you don't need. And it's just to, to really work and build your self-concept as a human. And with that, by doing all these things, you're teaching your body how to just not only be a better hockey player, but a better person in all walks of life. You know, yeah. anything that's thrown at you, you're going to be able to handle it. No problem. You know, that's yeah. the idea of my course. Uh, love it. And I uh, really love it. Uh, and I love the word that you use, resilience. Um, I have gotten in this habit of picking a word every year that I'm going to focus on this year. The word I picked was resilience. So yeah. totally relate, you know, and I think with everything that's going on and, and trying to reinvent myself, um, coming back into the game and, and finding that passion and that love again for the game and now being of service and trying to help people like you. Um, I, I think it's, it's a, it's a great, it's a great word to, to focus on. So, uh, so good luck with that. I, um, you know, and if there's anything that I can do to help support it over here, or drive people your way, I, I think we need to let more people know about what we're doing. Cause I think it's, it's going to be a bigger part of, um, of developing or of an athlete's development, whether it's in hockey or whatever sport or any walk of life, as you were talking about earlier, um, as we, as we come through COVID and, and come out the other side, whenever that happens. Right. So. No, I, I appreciate that. And I, I, I totally agree. Like just, I mean, both of us can from our personal experiences, like if someone taught me when I was a 20 year old in Houston, Texas, uh, how to be resilient and how to like, you know, w focus on, on my strengths and focus on my skills and, and come to the rink, uh, you know, I'm not pouting every day, but you know, confident, proper, proper uh, body language and uh, who knows what could have happened. Right. Uh, Amen, brother. I mean, I, I think we, we lived, well, your career was a little better than mine, but very similar at different times. Um, and I think it's a very common story. The more guys you talk to in our position, right? Um, and uh, and uh, during the summit, it's funny, I put up a slide and it shows how many kids were registered for hockey in Canada, 650,000 kids registered for hockey, and how many of them actually make a career a career getting paid playing and the number is 0 0.025. Yeah. Yeah. It's, right? it's, it's, it's tough, so, man. so it's, it's a grind. It's a grind. And I, even more so, I think it's, you know, if there's any parents that are listening to this, they're, they're just as responsible for that as, as the kids are, because there's a lot of parents that, that, you know, try and live vicariously through their kids and they all think it's uh, that they're going to go and play in the show. Um, so it's uh, there's a wake up call coming if they don't create this resilience in other areas of their life and create a, a support system and these this foundation for them for the day that the game ends. Yeah, no, it's it's so true. And you can see it, it, all the athletes that have success. Like I, I, I talk a lot about Michael Phelps when I'm in, in my course and and 
his visualization and, and his, his mindset before every single race, uh, putting in the work for himself, like understanding mentally, preparing mistakes already in his mind and how to recover from those mistakes. He was so dialed that nothing could happen. If his goggles broke, he already knew what his plan was if they broke to not let him, you know, phase him. And it's the same thing. If you see Connor McDavid, like if they're watching that documentary of him repairing his knee, he's doing that for him. Yeah. He ain't, like he's, he's so like resilient to be the best. Mm-hmm. And that can be learned. That's a muscle that can be learned. It takes yeah. a special breed to get to that level. Like obviously there's other things that go into it, but it can be trained. A hundred percent. And I think, you know, you, you keep creating, the, you're, you're teeing them up for me here, but you, you know, I think that we spend, uh, uh, young athletes spend all this time conditioning their bodies. Yeah. The biggest muscle that they're not conditioning is their brain. Exactly. You, that we, you know, so maybe somebody at hockey Canada is listening and, uh, and, and they'll start to incorporate programs like this, a, to help coaches teach the, teach and guide the players that, but, but for players to start to build in these type of skills, brain training, um, because I think it's, it's absolutely necessary if the game is going to survive and, and we're going to continue to produce, you know, I know you're a Canadian living in Germany, but you know, we still, we still cheer for the red and white when yeah. they're on the ice. Um, and I think that there's, there's a, a big need for it in, in all areas. So, um, Chris, it's been a great conversation so much. I learned a lot about you today too. Um, and I really appreciate you coming on my last question here before we, uh, we sign off and I let you, um, go enjoy the rest of your evening. Um, if your life was a billboard on the road of life, what would it say? Oh, this one, I kind of, I, I thought about a few things on the road of life and it's like, I think the one, the one that I was kind of thinking was good. And I heard it from a hockey coach back in the day. Um, it was more or less dressed to hockey, but it was like hockey is, is like a bank. You only, only get out of it what you put into it. And I always found that really cool, but it, it's not mine. Um, mine is just from my actual personal life experience is that everything I believe in life happens for a reason. Every injury, every failure, every mistake, it happens for a reason. And without my journey, without my injuries, without my mental problems, it wouldn't get me to where I am now, where I believe personally, I'm in a great state of mind and I'm in a happy spot. I've worked on myself and uh, you know, it's, it's what you do with that adversity. You can either fold or you can dig deep and, and, and you know, get help if you need it, talk to someone, do something to help you get better. Cause yeah. there's many people willing to serve and, and willing to help. And my billboard is, uh, yeah, everything does happen for a reason. Everything happens for a reason. Yeah, love it. I love it, and I love. <laughs> I, I love the fact that that uh, every hockey guy that I ask to give me their billboard, I actually tell them by the time they're done giving me their billboard, I got to purchase a whole highway of billboards. <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting for that. Everything happens for a reason. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's, <laughs> it's all good. It's just awesome. Hey, hey, Chris. Um, um, Really great uh, uh, hearing your story, where you're at now. Uh, obviously, wish you continued success. Hope things open up there. Um, in the meantime, keep teaching those kids yours uh, as best you can. You got your hands full. Um, and, and I wish you uh, wish you best of luck um, with, um, with Under the Bucket. Um, I hope we can stay connected and, and do some things together because there's a lot of synergies there. Um, and uh, I'll let you go enjoy the rest of your night. And I appreciate you coming on and sharing your story, brother. Yeah, thanks a lot for having me. And obviously, I appreciate everything that you do. And, you know, I see it every day. You're active. You're, you're, uh, you're, you're sharing, you know, good into the world. And there's too much uh, scary things going on and too much negativity and too much crap. And it's, it's awesome when you have people that are just, you know, wanting to help, wanting to serve, want to make people get better, get their head right. And, and uh, appreciate you what you do. And obviously, thanks for having me on. All right, Chris. Thanks, brother. Have a good night. Well, hoping you guys enjoyed that, uh, that episode with Chris Hyde. Um, I can certainly relate to uh, 
his story of resilience. As I mentioned, resilience is my word for uh, 2021. Um, again, guys, if you got anything, um, if the um, the podcast struck you in any way, uh, I please urge you to leave a comment or a uh, suggestion or uh, anything. That uh, give it a like,、um, share it with、uh, with anybody that you think would be interested.、Um, uh, again, just up over a thousand downloads, so that's pretty good.、Uh, but we can do better than that.、Um, hope you guys are are enjoying the guests that I'm bringing on. If you have any other suggestions, please throw them my way. I'm happy to reach out.、Um, in the meantime,、uh, enjoy your day, and、uh, remember, whatever you're doing, do it all in.